So, John Reed with Kate. Gundry of Plug PR, how's it going? Great. It's a beautiful day. You are my victim. I'm launching a new <laughs> podcast series. I don't know how regular listeners, this is a new thing. It's going to be called something like Enterprise Media Hackers, looking at how people are using media in the enterprise, what's changing. We're at the heart of your location in Boston, man. Mm-hmm. You're right across the Prudential Center. Yeah, you cannot get more downtown. You're right in a mix of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you started your own PR firm a few years back, is that right? When did that start? Yeah, so we founded Pluck, I founded Pluck uh, about two and a half years ago now. Um, and we only work with B2B tech companies. And what made you start your own thing? Uh, I had been working at agencies for many years, um, and the most recent agency I was at um, really worked with much larger companies, and I felt like there was a huge opportunity to work with B2B startups um, and help them grow and get early traction instead of just working with massive publicly traded enterprise software companies. And is there a huge opportunity? There is. I mean, we're still we're, we're still here, so <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, got to yeah. be some opportunity, yeah. right? Um, yeah, there definitely is. Uh, it, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of talking to people, figuring out what they need. But um, we've been growing as a as a little company where where we used to be just me. Now there's five of us, so we're uh, we're growing, and it's, so there is an opportunity there. And it's been really awesome to work with the companies that we that we've been with for many years now. Yeah, so is PR dead? PR is not dead, uh, but it is changing. It uh, When I started in PR, you were, uh, you know, buying lists of journalists and you were just, um, you know, there was a lot more phone calls than there was email. So uh, so definitely the, the way that PR is being done is different and it's, um, it's very relationship-based. Um, there's a lot more content creation involved today, um, not just graphics, but also writing and uh, and and videos and podcasts and all, all sorts of different kinds of opportunities where it's it's not strictly write a release, get it out the door, and people will cover it. It's a it's a lot more work than it used to be. It's been a, at least a couple months since I read a press release. Is the press release dead? You know, we have uh, you know we have several clients, and some of them use the press release. Uh, ironically, it's, it's funny that you say you don't read them because we find some clients, uh, we only actually write them in press release form yeah. so that it indicates to journalists, this is official. You can run this information. Right. Um, whereas an email with information in it, sometimes we'll get a response that says, when is this going out? When is this is this information approved? Am I allowed to write about this? The press release uh, serves a purpose to send that cue, um, right. but we don't have a lot of customers actually issuing them across the wire. Sure. So I think the press release as a information mechanism and an approval mechanism is yeah. still used, but the wire is dying. Right. The idea that you can put out a press release and suddenly get a deluge of coverage, that's gone, right? That is gone. You yeah. you get quite a bit of pickup, but it's press release pickup that doesn't count as actual mm. editorial coverage. Um, we do have some clients who will issue a press release on a corporate piece of news, so whether that's um, you know a Series C financing yeah. round or a major um, C-suite hire, they'll they may use the wire if they want something to be on the record. Yeah. But that's really that's the only real occasion for it. 
so if if a small B two B firm is pretty good at um, blogging and sharing content, or maybe sharing some code, getting so they're kind of getting a little bit of exposure through that. Why why do they then need PR as well? Um, I think that a lot of what we find, at least when we start working with companies, is that it's about getting organized. You know, when you're working with a really young company, most often you're dealing with executives who are wearing many, many hats. And uh, one of the hats that often gets pushed to the bottom of the pile is uh, proactively talking to people who may be curious about what you're doing, your product, and your customers. And so that's our job. Our job is to read the news, share with you important stories, get you to raise your head out of the sand, and get you fundamentally organized. So do you track your coverage? Do you track your competitors' coverage? Do you have a solid FAQ that you reference about your own corporate messaging? Do you have official bios written and headshots? It, it really runs the gamut of the, of the tiny, minutial logistics up through corporate messaging and strategy, but if you're uh, if you're thinking that it can just be something that another executive puts on their plate, it often doesn't get uh, covered as well as you might want. Then there's the flip side, which is going to ask you like why so many firms suck at content. But to elaborate on that, why why they struggle so much to not just like they, a lot of firms can write how great their product is, no problem. But why is it so difficult to write about topics like write about like what's happening in CRM or what are they learning from their customers? Like there seems to be this level of discussion because I don't really want to be insulted by brand like discussions at every mm-hmm. opportunity. Right. When, I, when I'm interested in and when I'm kicking tires, sure I want that information. But why do why do companies struggle? Do you help them with that? Is this something you work on? It is definitely something that we work on. Um, it's interesting. We for a lot of our clients, we'll we'll send a daily news scan of sort of everything we think they they need to be aware of that's happening within their bubble, within outside of their bubble, just important things to think yeah. about. And one of that's sort of one of the first things we instate to get them starting to think outside of just their sphere right. um, or just outside of their own product. Um, and it's usually pretty transformative pretty quickly when you get them talking uh, yeah. that they have all of these amazing thoughts and they have all this incredible industry knowledge, um, but they but they you know they're startups. They tend to be thinking so core on their own. Uh, product and what they've been building and who they're doing it for that they, you know, you, sometimes you got to remind everybody to lift their head up. Yeah, to look up, yeah. And and as far as evaluating success, this is the other thing that drives me a little nuts. It's like, oh, uh, you know, um, we got 20 articles off of that story and it's, and it's going to be, well, like, yeah, but like 19 of them were shit um, and they didn't even reach the right audience. Or, oh, we placed an article on Forbes.com and it hit... Mm-hmm. You know, tens of thousands of readers, and that supposedly constitutes a PR success. Right. Um, drives me batty. Yeah. Like so, but but there is a legitimate question, I guess, in terms of how you do evaluate success of a PR campaign or exposure. So, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we uh, every client tracks coverage differently. We, we track coverage for every client differently. Mm-hmm. 
Um, some are uh, are investing in PR far more for a brand awareness play. So potentially a biggest priority for them is if our three biggest competitors are getting named and we're not named, that's a problem. So they count everything from just company names to corporate positives, that kind of stuff. Um, we have other clients where it's really uh, quality over quantity. So doing a really in-depth Q&A on a channel trade you know that the 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 list of tier ones for that client changes on a quarterly basis depending on what they're really most interested in, and so it really depends on what the goal of the business is. If the goal is very focused, you know, we're pushing into this vertical this quarter. You know, financial technology is all we want to talk about. You know, then then the evaluation at the end of the quarter is how successful were we at permeating that vertical right. and that and that trade those trade publications. Um, whereas if it's a PR for a brand awareness sake, it is more of a volume play. And while features certainly carry more weight and executive profiles, certainly um, I personally feel more pride about them. The, uh, the, the number of times that they are mentioned where their competitors are mentioned and the percentage of times where the, everybody in the field is listed and they're in there is a very valuable metric because just share of voice is really important for some. Yeah, and then there's the magic quadrant factor. Mm-hmm. The, the need to play ball with established <laughs> uh, vendor evaluation methods, shall we yeah. say, regardless of the uh, ultimate authority or usefulness of said Yes. Yeah. Um, you know what? It's interesting. We have we we do analyst relations for all of our clients, which I think is another big differentiator um, when it comes to B two B PR. Um, I have in my previous careers witnessed PR firms say, "We don't touch analysts. Um, we're not going to do that for you. You have to hire a co- company that specializes in analyst relations, or you need to go directly to the analyst relations firm or hire someone in house." Um, we love managing it. We love talking to the analysts. It gives us great ideas. It educates us on markets that we're working in. Um, so we love doing AR for our clients. And I will say, though, that as companies, and this is, I'm not saying anything new here, as companies get larger and, and uh, their customers get larger, it certainly becomes uh more reasonable that they will be included in some of those waves and magic quadrants. You know, if you if you haven't taken on funding yet and you have three customers and they're all, um, you know, companies with less than 10 people, you know, we, we definitely spend a lot of time educating those types of clients on what these analyst reports are for and when they can expect to be in them. I was going to say something really snarky and inappropriate about paper play, but I won't. We'll just move on. Um, but <laughs> I want to ask you about influencers because I'll tell you how I look at it um, from my perspective. I mean, I know influencers is a little bit of a, like, if you say that word too much, like, you start to become a soulless marketing hack. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the idea behind it to me is that I see a lot of fluidity, like when I go to shows, I see a lot of fluidity between reporters, analysts in a conventional sense, like mm-hmm. a Forrester Gardner, mm-hmm. uh, analysts from a boutique firm, uh, maybe a Constellation Matrix, whoever that might be, um, bloggers, whatever. I can. I don't know if I, I guess I'm more of a blogger, but you know, different kinds of media sites and what they do. And I, I just see a lot of overlap because we hang out with these people at bars mm-hmm. at night 
and we talk about the same issues and you know kind of share perspectives and obviously it's different having a reporter beat versus being a maybe putting out more research notes and things like that that are longer but in my mind it's all part of this fluid nature of influence and yet I go to a lot of shows where these people they bucket us into these like little tracks or whatever or oh we invited certain people to one show but not the other track and to me, it's just kind of simple. Throw them all in the same bucket, kind of, and then individualize the coverage from there. But, I mean, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it comes back to relationship building and, and understanding how everybody is friends and is sitting at the bar together talking about the same topics. I think that it is um, it is a huge missed opportunity that I've seen time and again to uh, discount certain people's voice simply because they... Uh, maybe only do reports every quarter to say, oh, well, that's not going to get us value um, to your point, to your question earlier. That's not going to relay against the metrics that we're being measured on, so forget sure. about it. And that's, a, that's an error that um, I think a lot of PR firms are guilty of, of making, are discounting certain people for the, for the sole fact that it won't make them look as good. Um, and so, again, I think it goes back to... You know, I would, I would argue a lot of our clients feel like we function in-house for them. And what that means is that a lot of times we, we're doing education around um, what activities are valuable and what activities will have a longer-term payoff versus a shorter-term payoff. And getting the executives, whether, that's a, whether it's a client where we're dealing directly with the CEO or whether it's a client where we're dealing with the head of marketing, and getting them to understand what our philosophy is, which is that it, it, uh, all of these people talk to one another. All of these people have their own sources for validating if the company is worth talking to or what yeah, have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I feel like it's like five years ago where people would say, oh, they only write a blog. They don't work at Fortune. Forget it. it you used to discount people like that. I've seen it happen. Um, and now we're getting to a place where that person's an independent analyst. Discount that. For, forget it. I mean, that, that's, that's crazy. It's a crazy approach. And it's, um, it's a, it's, I think it's a legacy mindset of some PR people. But, it, um, but I do think that it's changing and people, uh, people in the industry are starting to realize how frequently all these people are communicating, seeing each other at shows, um, sharing insights about different companies and also experiences. If you if you don't let somebody have access to an executive because you think they're not worthwhile, and then somebody else wants to talk to your executive and they talk and that person feels slighted, you know it's going to damage another relationship that you should have just built from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And and there's also this thing I when clients talk to me about so called influence or whatever, and some of the most prominent people in the to be space in terms of name recognition are not necessarily the ones that the customers are listening to the most. I don't know if you run into this issue, but um, some of the people I respect most in the B2B space have somewhat of a low profile. Yeah. Either they're not that interested in social media or maybe it doesn't come as natural to them, but they're talking to enterprise buyers all the time and they carry a lot of weight with a select group of people who are actually the ones spending the money. So this is where I start to get kind of pissed off when I see the extent to which clout seems to dominate people's thinking, for example, where, like, like for example, in my case, where I launched Digenomica with four other bloggers about a little more than a year ago, like, clout doesn't care about that. Right. Like, clout doesn't care about the fact that we launched a major enterprise media property. That has no impact on my supposed influence. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. Yeah. 
but people rely on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is or why. Or do they? I hope right. they, I they wish don't. they did. <laughs> I think, thankfully, they don't. Um, I think that that's, at least in our experience, I think that one of the, like I was saying earlier, I think one of the biggest things that um, companies benefit from is a trusted communications person, whether that's right. in-house or whether that's through a PR firm or whatever, whoever you end up hiring. I think that one of the biggest things is that you have to trust that they're going to bring you um, ideas and uh, relationships that they believe that you need for a very clear reason. Um, and I think that 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 isn't easy to find, again, because a lot of PR firms are judged purely on clip count, and so they're the the business goals of the PR firm and the business goals of their clients are not in direct alignment. Yeah. Um, we spend a lot of time educating executives on why certain people are important to talk to, right. and and I think that um, that really comes down to how well prepared. It, it comes down to two things: one, trust in your communications person as a executive of a software company or whatever you're doing. And then second to the trust that they're not bringing you a worthless opportunity is how well they prepare you. Right. So if you're if you're not prepared and you go into a meeting and you don't have buy-in, if you're not bought into why you're meeting with this person, you're not going to get any value out of it. But um, but I think that that's it's on the it's the onus of the PR firm to make sure that the executive is educated about why it's important and well prepared for what the conversation is going to look like. And then nine times out of ten, they develop a relationship on their own, and it's really wonderful to see because a myriad of opportunities can come out of that. Right. So then you have to educate your clients to like the idiosyncrasies and the divas like myself, the people in the blogging world that are paying the butt to deal with and like why. <laughs> and yeah, is that kind of what you do? You kind of explain like, uh, this person really hates it when you approach them like this, or don't ever call this person, only email this person, right. or, you know. Yeah, I mean, we end up um, maintaining a lot of the relationships. Yeah. Um, we don't, uh, you know, when it comes down to people like you, you know, we're going to yeah. outreach to you when we think that there is something really yeah, great yeah. that you'll be interested in. And if you're interested, the next step will be getting you on the phone with that executive, getting you in person with that executive, getting on the phone with that customer, whatever the opportunity is. So we try to really maintain the relationship ourselves, also so that you know you can talk to us. But when we're, yeah, when we're getting an executive ready to yeah. uh, go to a dinner with a bunch of analysts and writers in a space that they're... You prepare dossiers on us, don't you? We, we do you prepare do. a little yeah, dossier. I will say, yeah. look, one of the things that um, is also really important, too, is making sure that your PR person or firm has the confidence to call up that executive and say... Mm -hmm look, there's stuff that's in the dossier and then there's stuff that's not. And yeah. give me five minutes so that you don't walk into this dinner and, you know, say, just put your foot right in your mouth and kill it. Like, yeah, 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 we, we yeah, work yeah. too hard. Um, and so we spend a lot of time making sure that those relationships are, uh, are and the, that preparation is done well in advance. Dealing with divas, yeah. Tough. What about you? How do you get the word out of what you do? Um... Honestly, our, word mouth kind of our, yeah, our customers do it for us. Yeah. Um, we work with... It's good marketing, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it is nice. I mean, like I said, we're a really small team. Um, and so 
because we're small, we're limited in the amount of work that we can take on. So there's yeah. that component to it. But um, but our clients are, uh, I would argue, every week somebody is making an introduction to somebody who um, might be interested in what we do. Um, having a very focused niche has been extremely beneficial for us. Like I said, we only work with B2B technology companies. And for the most part, we're working with um, companies that are uh, enabling more direct communication. So whether that's brands communicating with their audiences or employees communicating with each other, whether that's through content marketing or email personalization or like literally a messaging messaging solution, whatever that is, um, we really seem to have a core focus that um, that's enabled even our customers when they're referring us business to say, you know, this is directly in your wheelhouse. You have to meet with this company, or this is slightly left of center for you, but you might still be into it. Um, and so I think having a very clear thesis for the kinds of people we work with has been really advantageous for how we've grown the company. Right. So what's your biggest advice for an ambitious B2B company that is struggling a little bit on the PR or content media side? Is there a big mistake that people are making the fix? I think the biggest mistake is that people are not getting organized. Um, it is very easy to just sit down for an afternoon and and go through your email and pull out the names, publications, and email addresses of every reporter you've ever talked to to make a note and say, I spoke to them on 7-21-14, and this was the conversation. You know, getting organized by just having some, you know, everybody talks about analytics, and everybody thinks about analyzing, um, you know, performance metrics, but really, there are analytics just in, like, relationship management and understanding who yeah. you're talking to and when. Um, and so a big thing we find is that when we go into a company, Almost 100% of the time, they have absolutely no record of who they've talked to, what they were interested in, when that conversation happened. They just don't, they never wrote it down. And so one of the first things we have companies do is just we say, forward us everything. Forward us every photo of your office. Forward us every photo of your team. Forward us every speaking opportunity you've ever done. Forward us your abstracts, your emails. We don't care. Every, we'll organize every it. Every media reception that everything that went wrong late into uh, the night in a hotel. Or every single thing yeah. that's ever happened. <laughs> nice. Every personal relationship. And then we organize it. Okay. The companies could do that for themselves. And they would be shocked at then how much more proactive their thinking just becomes. Because if you have a list of media and you and you think you've been doing a great job, but when you actually go back and look at it, you've talked to only eight people in 12 months. Yeah. Nothing ended up coming out of any of that. You never followed up on any of those emails because you had a million other things to do. Like I said, if people are wearing so many hats, sometimes external communications falls to the bottom of it when you're trying to get an MVP out the door. Like, yeah. it's... It, it is important to, from the very beginning, just organize your communications efforts in one place. Even if that's like content topics, like, oh, I read the news and I really want to respond to this article, put it somewhere. Yeah. Don't think you're going to remember. Like, know yourself well enough to know. You're not yeah. going to remember to write that piece. Yeah. Well, I can vouch for that from the, from the coverage side that... I'll have these really excellent events or conversations with companies, and they seem to go underwater for unpredictable amounts of time. And 
and you really, I think, miss out sometimes on what you could get out of a more sustained relationship. And there seems to be no pattern to it. It's like you have a big event in October one year, and then it, and then the next year it's in June or whatever. And in between, a lot of stuff happens. Who knows? Um, so it's a challenge, yes. I think. Yeah, I do think that um, for some companies, uh, the media is intimidating. Yeah. Um, I think that social and um, the pace at which something could come out if something is said slightly wrong or whatever, I think that there is a yeah. little more fear. Not, I don't know if fear is the right word, but in the last couple of years, I've definitely had more executives double back when we talk to them about something to say, or, you know, really, I saw this person's tweets and I'm a little scared. Fear of social media failure, <laughs> or social media criticism. Yeah, or just, you know. It is kind of open and ruthless out there sometimes. Yeah, and especially in technology. I feel yeah. like there is there is no other industry where maybe maybe airlines, because like airline delays, I feel like there's been a lot of, yeah. lately, a lot of uh, real-time social uh, things happening. But I do think that there is, that nowhere, in very few other industries other than technology, are people so quick to jump on social and, yeah. and um, whereas a couple of years ago, if you were in a, um, if you were in an email exchange with a reporter and you were... You know, maybe you were having a hard time getting them the information they wanted. Maybe they were really laying into you to to admit something or open up about something that you weren't quite willing to do. Uh, Whereas that exchange might be something that you will work together on to get to a solution a couple years ago. Now you might be in that exchange and go on Twitter and find them saying, I hate when Executive X won't tell me their revenue or whatever it is. And then... And then it, it just, they end up snowballing. And so we definitely, again, this all comes back to education and making sure your executives are comfortable with the way that the media climate is at any given time. Right now, that's the reality. Yeah. I, I would encourage anyone who's listening who's not in their heads to get out into the fray a little more because, to be honest with you, I think that this is a longer discussion than we have time for today, but I think the people overestimate the damage of a critical tweet or whatever. There's just not a whole lot of evidence to support that that really changes the fate of your company one way or the other. What does, I think, have impact is being in the fray and being genuine and transparent and and engaging with people who criticize you because even if their criticism isn't changed by that interaction, they do take something from the fact that you're out there um, putting stuff out there in the open. I think ultimately that does make a difference. Yes. But it may be hard to measure, but I think it does matter. Uh, it is. That is, I think, a great point, is that it is extremely hard to measure. You know, I think that's, again, it goes back to telling an executive, it's worthwhile to get involved in this. Yeah. You might not see the impact tomorrow. It might get worse before it gets better. Yeah. But long-term, that relationship is one that... If you can change their mind or if you can get that more information, it will be of value. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that, uh, I, I think that one of the hardest things for executives sometimes to wrap their heads around is that every one of these interactions is unique and that there is no guarantee. You know, something I, I learned early on in PR was don't make any promises because you just don't know. You know, essentially PR is asking people to, do favors all the time. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, never make any promises. And that's one of the hardest things with influencer relations or, or engaging on social is 
you don't know how it's going to go. You're hitting people where it's personally them. And yes. so if you're having a conversation, you don't know if they're having a good day or a bad day. You can infer from what they've been sharing on social, but you know, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there in a public arena where, where there are no guarantees on how something might Well, and I, and I also, this, this also is a longer piece, but there's this, this complete misunderstanding about this notion of, oh, a negative blog about us came out today or a negative tweet came out. And what I always say is whether that was negative or not depends completely on how you respond to that. You fast forward a year, if, if you haven't addressed, for example, the substantive problems that were raised, then maybe it is a negative because you never did anything about it. But in the end, like a critical blog that points you the way forward is way more valuable than 10 perfume blogs that talk about how great you are that don't point, call attention to the critical problems in your market that you haven't dealt with. And I think a lot of companies don't get that, and I wish they would because it would make a big difference. Because, like, in the end, what I say is, like, if you want to win the sentiment game, have happy customers. Because in the end, if your customers love you, you're going to win the sentiment game. You know, look at Apple. You know, they've won the sentiment game for a long time because of how much people love their devices. I'm not speaking as a Mac fanboy myself, but. But I've seen it, you know. Yeah, and I think also um, one of the things that's important, too, for companies to realize is that everything that gets said doesn't necessarily have to... You can address it and you can validate people without actually changing what you're doing. So it's taking people's reactions to certain things with a grain of salt. We had an example a few weeks ago where on Twitter a reporter tweeted about a client of ours that they were upset that their homepage didn't have a search feature and that they couldn't search the site. And, you know, my first reaction as a PR person was, we got to talk to them, figure out what they're thinking. Then I I did some more due diligence on the person. I was like, this person doesn't even cover this space. This is just a, he's just having a personal affront. You know, he just feels, he just is annoyed that there is no search. But when I went and spoke with the marketing team and the CEO about it, and we were talking about this public tweet, criticizing their site, I mean, basically criticizing their site functionality, the the unanimous decision from the company was nobody else, no one, we had a search. Nobody ever used it because there's all the information is in two tabs at the top navigation. There's no purpose to having a search, but they were able to validate that person through social offer to get them whatever information it was that they were needing. Yeah. And then the reporter went dark, never tweeted again about it. After the off they had a yeah. four tweet exchange about it. They said, What what are you looking for? We'll get it for you. N- no no tweet ever again. So it's like that, you might have needed a Snickers part of the yeah, you know uh, that, exactly. Yeah. But I think that what the bigger the bigger takeaway from that is that just because somebody says something Right. means validating them does not mean you also have to change your sure. site, your roadmap, whatever it is they're complaining about. Validation is what a lot of people are just looking for. Totally. And and when I challenge a company on certain things, I, I'm not expecting them to change course because John said they should do something different. But I am impressed when they come back to me and, and explain what my feedback meant to them and why and mm-hmm. why they decided not to implement it or why they tabled it or whatever, um, that kind of engagement is always pretty impressive. Um, well, we should wrap. I think the one final question I have for you is just about your 
your clients, I, I will give you permission to um, mention them if you want. Um, so shameless plug if you need to. But what I really want to understand is this whole B2B startup space. What What's exciting right now? Like what's, what's getting your attention? What's getting other people's attention? Um, personally, I think that one of the most interesting things um, across our clients is uh, is really the topic of personalization. Um, it actually applies, ironically, we only have one company that really talks about it in their own marketing messaging, but I really think it applies across all of uh, what we're seeing in, in the industry at large, but also obviously in our, our client pool, that, um, that everybody, employees of any business, are consumers first. And people, uh, the technology and the internet and mobile devices, all of these sort of communications enablers, um, a couple years ago were just thought of as these great access points. Oh, I can get all this information. I can, I can be out of the office and I can access things. You know, there were all of this like functional capabilities. Um, and now people really want personal interactions. They want to know who they're talking to. They want to know that that person read their message. They want to get an email that uses their name and their preferences and then is delivered at the time of day that they're more likely to open an email that isn't necessarily work-related. Um, you know, they want to be reading content that is directly related to their personal interests that provides value to them. I think that, that personalization across all different kinds of enterprise solutions is... Um, is what is driving trust on the consumer side. Um, and, and also we're seeing a lot of companies that are consumer first uh, push into the enterprise. We've seen it with things like Dropbox. You know, they, were, they got consumer adoption and now they have an enterprise strategy. You know, we're seeing a lot of um, new things come up that are really allowing consumers, employees who are consumers first, to be validated as as the people that they are versus just an employee number seven. Um, and I think that that's a huge trend that we're seeing, and I think it's some people are calling it like a, a push against all of the things that technology enabled and, and brought to the fore, um, mm-hmm. that people are really going back to some more basic human, humanizing their ways of interacting, and, and I think that's great. I think it's great. Obviously, I think in part it's great because our customers are ones that are uh, – they're providing that sort of human touch. Um, but I think we're reading a lot of coverage lately about how something that technology of the last many years has um, taken, has tried to take a human element out of things. Um, and that, and we're seeing a lot of coverage about how important that human element is. And so I think that personalization across all kinds of different fields is really, is really valuable because at the end of the day, People love how what technology enables, but they don't want to be treated anonymous for the most part, we find. Yeah, and, and it is interesting when you think about personalization and all the missed opportunities, whether you're you're on Facebook or almost any other app where so much of this the commercial stuff that appears in your stream just doesn't feel like it really resonates yet with who you are and but there's a potential there that it could, you know, and that it can make a difference. I'm always interested in how like the Personalization, like, like, where do you cross the line quite into creepy and mm-hmm. and, and opt in, like, because it's like, okay, like, um, like, yeah, okay, I like veggie pizza or whatever. So you show me some veggie pizza coupons in Boston because I'm in Boston right now. Great, but you're hungry right now at nine o'clock in Sheraton room two hundred four one. 
there's a pizza place right down the hall or whatever, and then you're reaching the point where it's like too uh, far, too far maybe, for you. <laughs> maybe you know just a little too much about my whereabouts, although probably you do anyway. You're just keeping it to yourself. But, yeah, well, it's a fine yeah. line. I definitely yeah. think companies are dealing with with treading that line, and yeah. um, and we're seeing some people do it better than others. We're seeing some people, you know, in the last couple of years, we're seeing people go too far and and ruin surprises for people because of messages pushed down. We can all remember, yeah. You know, yeah. Finding out about your engagement, your boyfriend buys a diamond ring before you're yeah, engaged. Congratulations. Like, it's, a, it's a bit of a snafu yeah. in the system. Um, but I do think that there's been so much exposure to yeah. going too far. Um, and I think that there is a lot of discussion about uh, personal data privacy. Um, right. That companies are definitely thinking first before they push something out to the market. Um, and your point is the technology and the analytics and the software, like it's there to support this now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity. There's a huge amount of opportunity, and it's, and really, aside from the opportunity, it's it's a demand. I mean, yeah. if worker, whether you're trying to get a bunch of workers to adopt a new solution, or whether you're trying to get a bunch of consumers to make a purchase from your brand, regardless of what you're trying to do, there is this human interaction that has to be there, um, and there has to be this sort of understanding of who that individual is. Are they more likely to use this kind of you know, communication solution? Are they more likely to open their email and make a purchase from your jewelry website yeah. at two in the afternoon on a Thursday? And understanding the nuances of individuals, which I think um, I think in the last five years, it, or five years ago, it was kind of stripped out of people's thinking. They were just thinking about how powerful the technology was to get to these people. Um, that this, there's this like human, who am I talking to? Who are these people? Who is this person, this individual person um, that's yeah. coming back into play in a way that um, that's really refreshing. It makes me have more like faith in humanity that the people are valuing this again. That technology can enable right. it, but people are demanding it's more it. of a human connection involved. Yeah, that even though technology yeah. can can reach you anywhere and they can know what room in the Sheridan you're in and right. get all up on your pizza offers. Um, that there that there has to be some consideration to the right. to the person at the end, um, and that and I think that's something that I've seen. And again, obviously, it's because it's a lot of what our clients do. But um, even in the way that executives are talking about um, individual users, it's not just about you know the, these blanket messages to everybody. It's about who is your individual, and I think that that. I think that spreading that uh, value on on individual preferences and individual understanding of your consumers or your users yeah. is super valuable. Whether you're whether you're an enterprise or not, I think it's super valuable. Well, a personalized inbox is a better inbox. I think mm. I think we can agree on that. So let's let's leave it at that. But <laughs> I'll get very back to my uh, hotel room there and uh, throw out my pizza box and <laughs> check out. Uh, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Of course, thank you. Uh, for my listeners, I'm probably going to put this podcast on my existing Enterprise Trends series, but the rest of these media hackers podcasts are going to go in a different channel, so you'll have to subscribe to another iTunes channel, but I'll send out the information when it's all set up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>